I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about Russian ghost sightings, or Russian haunted locations. But first, as always, shout-outs to the patrons. Please don't skip ahead. It takes maybe 30 seconds. Listen to the people that make this show possible for everybody else. Shout-outs to Aaron, Aaron, Amber, Amy, Angie, Autumn, Brody, Seth, Carolyn, Chuck, Dan, Daniel, David, Dill, Edgar, Elliot, Erica, Aaron, Fabian, Harley, Harvey, Heidi, J. Mark, Jade, Jamie, Jason, Jason, Jeff, Jenny, Jennifer, Jim, Joe, John, Joshua, Joshua, Juliana, Kelsey, Kenny, Kira, Kyle, Laura, Laura Rutho, Lauren, hi Lauren, Lawrence, Lindsay, M. Caballero, Lindsay, oh my god, how did I not notice you? Lindsay is the best. Uh, Madison, Maggie, hey Maggie, Michaela, Manning, Martin, Matt, Matt, Megan, Megan, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Rachel, Reed, Rosa, Sage, Sarah, Sarah, Shelly, Suzanne, Tosh, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson. Elijah's the best as well. Uh, and Todd and Jamie are cool too. Travis, Trey, Troy, Veronica, and Vincente. Just a little heads up. Um, Lindsay, I actually did a radio show with Lindsay a long time ago. Lindsay is the best. I am so happy to see her on here. I never get to see her anymore. She moved away from me, uh, probably on purpose. I can only assume. So I'm very happy to see her on that list. I didn't even notice that until just now. And I'm so very, very happy that I noticed that. So shout outs to everybody. And I mean everybody that makes this show possible. You are all the best. Without you, I could not make this show. And I'm not just saying that. I literally could not make the show without you guys. And everybody listening, please uh, like, subscribe, wherever wherever you get your podcasts. Find Paranormal Almanac, like and subscribe. Make sure you review it on iTunes or Podbean or Stitcher, wherever you review and listen to your podcast. If you can review it there, please review it. Get the word out. Tell your friends. Share the Facebook posts. Do whatever you can. Any little bit that you guys do is... I'll be eternally grateful for it. It helps me out in so many ways. I cannot thank you guys enough. Alrighty, with that, let's get over to Paranormal News. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paranormal News. And our first story of paranormal news, Sonar picks up 25-foot quote-unquote creature in Loch Ness. They don't have to put it in quotes. It's a 25-foot creature in Loch Ness. A boat skipper has captured a sonar image of something large lurking in the depths of the world-famous loch. 24-year-old Mike Bell has been taking a group of tourists out on the water on June, 20, um, June 27th when he picked up the anomalous object approximately 115 feet beneath the surface. When he circled around to scan the same spot again, the object had completely disappeared. I would like to I would like to think this is our creature Nessie, he said. It's my first year being the skipper in the boat, and in five months I've never seen it or had something that big on the sonar. An object of that size I would think is way too big for the normal species in the lock. It must have been about five or six minutes we spent trying to pick up this creature again. Now this year is turning out to be one of the best for Loch Ness sightings, I agree, with eight reported so far. And it goes on to say, my dad is the more experienced skipper who has been doing this for a few years, and he has said he's never seen it that big before on the sonar. It's my first sighting of Nessie, and I think my dad is a wee bit jealous as he has never seen it. I am loving all of the Nessie news lately. Let's continue on with all the Nessie news because... Just as much as I want Bigfoot to re- And I know Bigfoot's real. Just as much as I know Bigfoot's real, I know and I want and I pray that we find Nessie alive and well. 
Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, camper alleged Bigfoot sighting prompts gunfire at a park. And I had a couple of you guys send this one to me as well. Thank you guys. Always please send me these kind of news stories. I love it. This one comes out of Cave City, Kentucky, where federal officials are investigating a report that a man fired a gunshot while camping at Mammoth Cave National Park. I've actually been to Mammoth Cave National Park. Um, it's beautiful. The caves are actually absolutely gorgeous. And it's, uh, let's see what it goes on to say. An incident that another camper says was prompted by an alleged sighting of Bigfoot. You all know where this is going. Don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. If you are lucky enough to be in a national park campground and you see a Bigfoot, take a photo. Say hi. Don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Now, Mammoth Cave said law enforcement rangers responded early Sunday to a report of a person with a firearm at one of the Kentucky Park's backcountry campsites. Brad Jinn told news outlets he and his girlfriend were camping nearby and were awakened by about 1 a.m. by a man with his son. The man said they were going to investigate strange noises he kept hearing. Jin said he heard a gunshot minutes later, and the man returned to say Bigfoot had emerged from the woods, so he fired. Hey, man with a gun, fuck you, buddy. Don't go after Bigfoot in its native landscape, or whatever you want to call it, its environment, and then fucking shoot at it when you actually see it. How about you don't investigate it? Brad Jin and his girlfriend didn't investigate it. They were in the same damn campground. They didn't go... Oh, you heard something that could be a big, dangerous bear? Oh, I'll go with you and check it out. No, fuck this guy. Uh, Jin said he and his girlfriend decided to leave and report the incident. I like Brad Jin. And I cannot lie. Uh, park spokesman Molly Schroer, Schroer, sure, says an investigation continues and the park is safe to visit. Not for Bigfoot. How about you make your park safe for Bigfoot to visit, Molly Schroer? And her name sounds like I'm saying something backwards. I'm really not. It's S-C-H-R-O-E-R, Schroer. Um, look, again, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Just don't do it. Bigfoot, at the very least, will be a smelly, hairy creature that you see for a split second. At the most, you might get an incredible, rare opportunity that so few have had. You might actually get to interact with a Bigfoot. But you know what's going to make Bigfoot not want to come around people or worse, start attacking people? Is when idiots and their sons go out and shoot Bigfoot for just popping up behind a tree. It's the woods. Lots of shit could pop up behind the tree. How, how about it's a campsite. Could be some dude over there pooping behind the tree and you just took a shot at him. Guy could have a beard. You don't know. Don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. That's all I'm saying. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, lawmaker presses Navy on UFO sightings. A top Republican on the House Homeland Security Committee is seeking more details from the Navy on recent reports of unidentified aerial phenomenon, including what resources it's using to investigate the mysterious sightings and whether it is, quote, found physical evidence or otherwise. I'm not going to go into the whole report because you guys have heard it a million times. I told you before, anytime this is in the news, I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to talk about it because I want to keep this story in the news. We are moving the ball forward towards disclosure or, yeah, disclosure. Or, as I say, or, you know, be a proof of UFOs. But they're both the same thing. So we're moving that ball forward, even if it's just by a little bit, just by an inch. We're doing it. So lawmakers, keep pressing. Politicians, keep pressing. Celebrities, keep pressing. Do what you can to put some pressure on people to find out what these UFOs are, what these unidentified aerial phenomena are, what the Navy are seeing on a regular basis. Let's keep the pressure up. Let's figure out what we're seeing. And hopefully we get disclosure sooner than later. Hold on one sec. Hi, Stitch. How you doing, pal? Up next, aliens likely flashing laser beams at us. Veritas could help find them. If intelligent alien civilizations do exist, scientists think they could be using powerful flashlights to communicate with us. Astronomers have started to explore the idea that aliens could be trying to contact us through laser beams. So you know how, like, if you got a laser beam, or you got a laser, and you're playing, like, with a cat with a laser beam? Well, picture the aliens with that laser, and we're the cat. 
So Breakthrough Listen is a project that attempts to detect intelligent extraterrestrial communications in the universe, has announced that its team will start to look for this potential new sign of alien technology using the Very Energetic Radiation Imaging Telescope Array System, or Veritas, at the Fred Lawrence Whipple Observatory in Amada, Arizona. Using Veritas, astronomers will scan the night sky for nanosecond flashes of light from nearby stars. These brief pulses of optical light are like lighthouse beacons for cosmos that outshine any nearby stars and may be possibly a method of alien communication. Berkeley SETI Research Center director Andrew Simon sure, said NASA had already used optical communication to transmit high-definition images, high images from the moon to Earth. So there's reason to believe that an advanced civilization may use a scaled-up version of this technology for interstellar communication. Simon also said that Veritas could help astronomers detect fast optical pulses, which could possibly originate from alien tech. In 2016, astronomers, 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 they're kind of like astronomers, but they're different. Astronomers discovered the weird behavior of Tabby Star. Now, I talked about Tabby Star quite a bit, maybe a year or so ago, actually probably closer to two years ago. And that one was located 1600 light years away in the constellation Cygnus. The star exhibited odd dips in light, prompting speculations that an alien megastructure was periodically blocking the light and causing the odd dimming. Now, the astronomers said that if the mysterious dimming is due to an artificial structure around the star, the beings behind it could be using it as a form of communication. So, a little mention of Tabby's star, just to let you guys know, as far as I'm aware, there has been no new news on Tabby's star. No explanations on Tabby's star. But, I got the internet right in front of me. Let's find out if there's any news. Two minutes later. Oh, there is. What is this one? Is the random transitor weirder than Tabby's star? Move over, Tabby's star. The random transitor may now be the weirdest star in the galaxy. Kepler data revealed 28 transits in front of this star in 87 days. What caused them? Multiple planets? Disintegrating planets? Alien megastructures? We don't know. So the only news that I could find, that was from a month ago, yeah, the only news that I could find from a month ago is we still don't really know what's going on with Tabby's star. Or, for that matter, this random transitor. Okay, up next in paranormal news, Ghost Adventures host Zach Baggins buying infamous La Bianca house. Adding to his collection of Manson family-related possessions, so 50 years after the supermarket chain owner, Leno LaBianca and his wife Rosemary were brutally murdered inside their Los Feliz home by members of the Manson family. That house has been scooped up by Zach Baggins of Ghost Adventures. According to TMZ, Baggins, whose haunted museum in Las Vegas exhibits such ghoulish items as the hospital gown Charles Manson died in and a painting made with his ashes, offered close to the 1.98 million asking price for the 1,655 square foot house. The paranormal investigator says he was blown away by the property's paranormal views and intrigued by the energy I felt while there. It was mysterious and palpable. Here's a fun fact. Since the murders, there's been people living in that house. There has been no known paranormal activity in that house since the murders. None. Nobody has said, whoa, this house is really haunted. I don't want to live here anymore. None of that. So, I, uh, I don't know what to think about that one. Yeah, of course Zach's going to say that because he's probably going to make it an Airbnb or rent it out some way, shape, or form. You need to drum up the paranormal side of it if you're going to do a paranormal investigation or a paranormal Airbnb or something of that effect. So, I don't know what to think of that one, but he owns the house. If he wants to let me in it, I would love to do an investigation. If not, totally understand. All right, before we close up paranormal news bag, I don't know what I was going for there. Uh, just a reminder, the Portal to Ascension Conference is October 4th through 6th in Irvine, California. I will be there. So if you want to hang out with me at a paranormal place, I get a lot of requests to like, hey man, do you want to do this paranormal investigation with me? Do you want to hang out at this paranormal thing? Do you want to do this paranormal thing? The answer is always yes. I just don't have a ton of time. But I will be here. So here is your chance to hang out with me at this paranormal event. Also, 
just a heads up, I want to do another uh, listener hangout. I did a patron hangout. That was a blast. I had a lot of fun. Dan's a very cool guy. Um, I really, I really enjoyed hanging out with him and a couple other people as well. I want to do another one. I'm going to give you guys a lot of notice. I'll figure out a good date that everybody can go to. I'll post it on Facebook. I'll post it on the Patreon. I'd love to hang out with you guys. Just relax and, you know, shoot the shit. I think it'd be fun. Okay, with that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. With that, let's get into tonight's episode. If you're like me, you watched Chernobyl just recently on HBO, and it scared you out of your mind. It was terrifying. I remember when when Chernobyl happened, but watching it, you know, the way that HBO did it, step by step, even knowing what the destruction was going to be like and what they were going to find, was terrifying. But also, if you're like me, you probably wondered, hey, did anything paranormal happen there after Chernobyl? Well, the answer to that is in this very episode. But before we get to that, let's look at a bunch of haunted locations in Russia. And I'm going to be sure to butcher a few names along the way. First up, I'd like to say, I'd love to visit Russia. I'd love to visit Chernobyl and do a paranormal investigation there. I think that would be absolutely incredible. I don't want to stay there. I don't want to get abandoned there. But I would like to check it out. I would love to do a paranormal investigation there. It's been done. There's been many people that have done them. I would like to be one of them. Okay, so the first up on this list is the Kremlin, which is the most Russian building that I can think of and probably many people can think of. And apparently, like every cool building... The Kremlin is also haunted. There have been many reports of people seeing the ghost of Lenin and Stalin, not at the same time, walking the halls, and guards that have been interacting with them. Now, sadly, I couldn't find out what that interaction was. Did they play tag with Lenin or Stalin? Did they run around being chased by the ghost like on a Scooby-Doo episode? I have no idea. Unfortunately, the only information I could find is that the guards have interacted with these ghosts. There are also reports of people visiting the Kremlin seeing people in period clothing and footsteps and voices heard when no one else is around. Like they'll be looking down this hallway and they can hear people coming towards them in the hallway. It's not sound bouncing off anywhere. They're actually physically standing there waiting to see who the hell are these people walking and talking and then nothing. And it's not hard to see why. Um, I never knew this, but apparently the basement of the Kremlin is ancient. And it holds skeletons dating back to the 12th century. Now, most of the Kremlin was closed off soon after the Bolsheviks moved their government there in 1918 from the Tsarist capital of Petrograd. Or Petrograd? I don't know. I'm sorry, Russians. Russians that are listening. I have Russian fans that are listening to this. And I love the fact that someone from Russia is listening to this. You guys are awesome. I apologize now. I'm going to butcher names. I think it's Petrograd, which is now St. Petersburg. I got that one right. And even Putin's office, it's old. It's really old. It's from the 16th century. And they have cathedrals inside the former fortress and UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Then there's a 14th century wing, which became one of the first communist footprints in the Kremlin. It was built in 1932 after the Bolsheviks destroyed two of Russia's most revered religious sites, the Chudov Ministry, Chudov, Chudov Ministry, and the Ascension Convent. Royals were buried in the necropolis of the Ascension Convent below, so actually in the Kremlin. So over the centuries, basically, the Kremlin has been bombed, burned, partially destroyed in wars and in violent outings, oustings, and parts of the building are being dug up, renovated, destroyed to make way for more modern halls. And as you guys know, with that kind of disruption comes paranormal upticks like crazy. And that is exactly what they're seeing. They're finding more and more stuff. And as they're unearthing stuff and unearthing skeletons and tombs and graves, the paranormal activity is increasing as well. And you guys have to remember that even though they're not the Soviet Union anymore, Russia is still pretty tight-lipped about UFOs and paranormal activity. So to get any information from them is just like the tip of the iceberg. There's going to be tons more. Every location that I talk about tonight, I'll have the tip of the iceberg of what the paranormal activity that's seen there. You have to put, you know, you have to imagine it's tenfold. 
Alrighty, with that, let's go over to the Mikhailovsky Castle. Now, this is St. Petersburg's only castle, and like every good castle, it has a famous ghost. This one is named Tsar Pavel I. Who? Well, in my little Wikipedia of Tsar Pavel I, here's what I know. He reigned as Emperor of Russia between 1796 and 1801. Let me say that again. He reigned as Emperor of Russia for only from 1796 to 1801. 96, 97, 98, 99, 0, 1. Boy, that's six years. It's not a long time, so I bet you can kind of guess what happened. So first he has a castle built. And then basically he becomes a recluse in the castle walls. Pavel was murdered by a drunken mob of soldiers who were there to only arrest him, but ended up killing him. All right, so Pavel is still seen in the castle to this day. Apparently, there is a particular window in the castle where he can be seen playing the violin. Oh, and also, he's a weird-looking dude. That's right. Come at me, Pavel. Come at me, ghost of Pavel. I looked up what your photo looks like. Not your photo, but your drawing or whatever. You're a weird-looking dude. Sorry. If you want to see a weird-looking dude, look up this dude. Okay, up next is the Abvadni Canal. Its name, its name means circular, apparently. I don't speak Russian, so I'm just going to go with what I've been told. Its name means circular. It's the largest canal in St. Petersburg. And when it was first created, it was a place where only the poor workers and the poor people lived. It had a reputation where bad things would happen all the time with zero explanations. Strange illnesses and violent outbursts happened during its construction, and many legends say that all of those deaths have made the canal haunted. And over the canal is Borovsky Bridge, or as it's also known, Suicide Bridge. Fun fact, kids. If a bridge is named Suicide Bridge, it's not a good thing. It's not like one of those, like, if you see a big guy and you call him tiny. Suicide Bridge means a lot of people died there. Now, I can't find a specific number of suicides, but I have found multiple reports that that a ton of suicides or clusters of suicides happen in just about every decade since the early 1900s. There's reports of mothers throwing their kids in the water, then themselves, reports of people trying to commit suicide, surviving the fall, when they get to shore, they don't remember why they jumped in the first place. There's a lot of reports about people just walking on the bridge, all of a sudden getting an overwhelming urge to commit suicide, luckily surviving, and then not really understanding or not really remembering the specifics of that urge to commit suicide. All right, here, now comes the spooky. Many residents warn people not to get too close to the edge of the bridge because, quote-unquote, something will hypnotize you and make you jump to your death. Other residents say they won't look over the edge of the bridge into the water because when they do, a lot of people have reported seeing a woman in white floating face-up just below the surface. When those people run to get authorities, they run back and look down, there is no woman in the water. They've even dredged the water after these reports, thinking, oh, the body went under or went downstream or whatever, and they can't find this woman in white that's floating face up. Now, when construction happened in modern times, when they were doing, like, new construction to the canal, they found these granite slabs that many, arche many archaeologists think were the ancient 13th century tombs of the shamans and the women who were massacred on that site by Swedish knights in the 13th century. Now, unfortunately, though, the tombs were never investigated because it would slow down construction. So they came across these things. They got the archaeologist out. The archaeologist had time to quick do a quick sketching of the tombs. And then they were like, nope, we got to go through it. And they just destroyed all of that evidence. Since then, since this new construction, people have seen a shaman and a woman wearing 13th century looking garments walking along the canal that disappear when they're followed. Now, I don't know if I saw a woman wearing 13th century looking garments. I could say, like if they said, well, I say, hey man, I saw this woman. Oh yeah, what was she wearing? Oh, she was wearing 13th century garments. 
I, I would probably at best be able to say, you ever been to the Renaissance Fair? It kind of looked like that. And that's my guess. I think they're being a little bit more specific, or, or the people aren't being as specific. It's just these reports go, oh, well, we know that a woman, that a bunch of women were killed by Swedish knights in the 13th century. And I'd like to know more about that. Why were there Swedish knights in the 13th century along this canal butchering shaman and women? Don't know. This isn't the history almanac. This is the paranormal almanac. Oh, and oh, by the way, this isn't the only haunted canal. There's also the Gribodav Canal. I'm sure I didn't say that right. Where the ghost of a woman in a long dress is seen walking along the canal. Some people think she's the ghost of Sofia Porovskia, who is a young woman that was a member of a terrorist group that murdered Tsar Alexander II. Now, right where she's seen on the embankment of the Grabidov Canal is where she was murdered, where Sophia was murdered. Now, the place of Tsar Alexander's death is now marked by the Church of the Savior on spilled blood. It's an interesting name for a church. The Church of the Savior on spilled blood. All members of the terrorist group were caught, they were brought to trial, and they were sentenced to death by hanging. Supposedly... Sophia's spirit can even be seen waving a white handkerchief just like she did on the day of the assassination to signal the approach of the Tsar's carriage. So, if you want to see some ghosts, you want to see some women ghosts, you want to see some women ghosts either underwater wearing a white dress, walking by wearing a white dress, walking by wearing a white dress, waving a white handkerchief, go to the canals in Russia. These canals have all of your... Wanting to see a Russian woman ghost in white needs. They got everything. Okay, up next is the ghost of Rasputin. And it's actually called the ghost, the ghost of Rasputin's apartment. But it's, I don't think they mean that they're seeing a ghost of Rasputin's apartment. It's not like I'm walking by going, Oh my God, oh, I thought that apartment was real and it just kind of faded away. No, they mean it's the ghost of Rasputin in his apartment. It's just terribly named. Uh, do I need to tell you who Rasputin is? I guess I should just be on the safe side. Again, seriously condensed version of who this guy is. Grigory Rasputin was a mystic that befriended the royal family in the early 1900s, and this dude was crazy. If you've seen the movie Anastasia, you know that cartoon? Well, that's Rasputin, sort of. He really didn't have a bat named Bartok, voiced by Hank Azaria, but otherwise, he was a lot like that. He's some crazy, batshit, crazy dude with a long beard, long robes, fucked with the royal family. He was a self-professed healer, and he swindled many people out of their money, quote-unquote, healing them. And that included the royal family themselves. So the royal family and Rasputin started to fade in the people's mind. They didn't really like them so much. Their glory wasn't as high. So they were like, you know what? F these people. F that dude. But... All right, so that's his story in a nutshell. Well, most of it. So next, let me tell you about the BS about his death, about all of that, that uprising I was just kind of getting to. Now, there are many sites who say he was poisoned, shot, and drowned and had to be dismembered to finally die. Like, he survived the poisoning, the shooting, and the drowning and was alive as they were dismembering him. Sorry, it's just not true. There is evidence, there's proof, there are photos even. He was shot. He was shot a few times. Once at very close range, and it was a bullet to the brain that killed him. Then, his body was dumped off a bridge into a river, but he was already dead. It's not like they shot him in the brain and then threw him in the river so he could drown. He died of the bullet in the brain. He was already dead, nothing paranormal there so far. Then, in 1917, his coffin was dug up for reburial on Poplanaya Hill. According to the legend, the vehicle that carried the coffin broke down on the road, and for whatever reason, it's a dumb legend, but for whatever reason, Rasputin was not buried on the, uh, at the Poplanaya Hill. Rather, though, he was cremated in the boiler room of the Polytechnic Institute. I can't prove any of that. I don't know if any of that is true. I do know bullet to the brain's what killed him. Okay, now for the paranormal. 
his ghost is seen a lot at his St. Ber- at his St. Petersburg apartment. And his ghost has been seen there for almost 100 years. Now the apartment was turned into a museum, so there have been a lot of people walking through his apartment, walking through this museum. And they've reported seeing a ghost that looks exactly like the photo of Rasputin that's hanging in the museum. They also hear him muttering or whispering and wandering around quite a bit. See him and hear him, I should say. And they hear his footsteps constantly. They say he is a very active spooky ghost. Very, well, he's a spooky guy, so of course he's, you know, a spooky ghost. But he's a very active ghost. Uh, So again, the ghost of Rasputin's apartment, not an apartment ghost. Okay, from here we're going to actually kind of burn through a couple of quick ones. Because like I said earlier... I, get, I can find a bunch of stuff, but only like the tip of the iceberg kind of stuff. And even some, it's just one line. I tried to find sources. I tried to find other stuff to corroborate, and I just couldn't. So for a bunch of these, it's just kind of short but sweet. So here we go. The Ghost by the Bronze Horseman is a statue dedicated to Peter, who basically built St. Petersburg, hence the name. And many people have visited this statue late at night have seen a dark shadow figure appear around the statue. Next, there is a hunchbacked old man ghost seen at the 19th century house number 17, uh, I'm going to butcher the hell out of this one, on Myasnitskaya Street in central Moscow. Myasnitskaya Street in central Moscow. It's close enough. If you go to this number 17 if you find this street see an old hunchback ghost old man ghost okay next up there are a bunch of ghost sightings in the tunnels of the sokol s-o-k-o-l metro station now this metro station is seriously old and seems really cool for paranormal activity they see wounded world war one soldiers walking the tunnels that seem to notice the people that are seeing them they seem to have a look of, what the fuck is that? Who is that person? Why do, what are they wearing? Just when the person is going, what the fuck are World War One soldiers, wounded, festering wound kind of wounded, walking through the tunnels? So these ghosts are not like, a, it's not like a playback. It's not like a loop tape. These seem to be aware of their surroundings and be able to see the, the modern day people in this metro station, if you will. That one seems really cool. I would love to go to this metro station and do a paranormal investigation. Go through these tunnels to see, are there remains there? What's the, what's keeping these World War I soldiers in these tunnels? Up next, the house at 43 Bolshaya Yakimanka Street, Yakimanka Street in Moscow. Now, it's also known as the Igumnov House. Sure, I'm not saying most of that right. This house is also the French ambassador residence. So all of the French ambassadors stay at this house and all of them have seen the ghost of a young girl that walks the halls sighing and crying. And they definitely mean a young girl. Now there's a lot of bullshit that goes along with this saying, oh, well back in the day there was this little girl and she was in love with this older guy and the older guy didn't love her back. So because of that, she's walking the hall, sighing and crying because apparently he was killed by the father somewhere in the house. Is that true? I have no way of knowing, but it's only a couple of sites and those sites seem to embellish just about every one of these stories. So the essential part is ghost of a young girl walks the halls, sighing and crying, has been seen there fairly regularly. Up next Another Stalin's ghost. Stalin's ghost can be seen in his old country house, which is within the Green Grove Hotel. I think it's Green Grove. Green Grove Hotel near Sochi. Uh, People see him in a white jacket smoking at a table at the hotel. So it seems like Stalin's ghost is kind of getting out there, mixing it up a little bit. Alrighty, grain of salt time. Next to a modern psychiatric hospital in the village of Lyakovo near Nitsny. Novgorod, there is an abandoned building that legend says that some 30-odd years ago, a young woman hanged herself because the man she loved couldn't love her back and her ghost is still seen 
hanging inside the building or walking by windows in a white glowing gown. And there's not even floors there anymore on these windows that they see. Like, oh, I saw her on that window right there. It's the third one up from the sixth over. And they'll go up there and the floor is fallen in because it's an abandoned building. But yet they saw a woman walk right by these windows. Now, again, I say grain of salt time because it's a very flowery story with very little proof. But I can't prove it didn't exist. That one is my grain of salt time story for this episode. I can't say it's true. I can't say it's not true. So, yeah, maybe grain of salt time. Now, here we go. Here we get to it. Now it's debunk time. So there's this awesome story that I first heard on Art Bell years ago. I fell in love with this story. It's a fantastic story. If you ever listen to classic Art Bell, you know that him telling the story made it 10 times scarier and 10 times cooler. He didn't care if it was real. He didn't care if it was fake. He told you the story as he heard it. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you the tale, and then I'm going to do it Kurt style, and I'm going to debunk the hell out of it. Here goes. In 1999, hey, Stitch, I'm trying to be cool and tell a story. In 1999, there was a Russian scientific team that were drilling in Siberia, and they drilled a hole 8.9 miles deep. They were doing it to do plate tectonic tests, if you will. Now, this was the deepest hole recorded, and when they got to 8.9 miles deep, that's when they hit something. The drill bounced around like crazy, alerting them that they had hit a pocket, and this was a huge pocket. The story goes that scientists felt a surge of extreme heat blast out of the hole right when they hit the pocket, and then they heard something that scared the hell out of them. I was going to say literally scared the hell out of them, but that's not a literal thing, so I quickly changed the wording just then. Um, they heard something from this basically nine-mile deep hole in, sky in Siberia that scared them bad. The scientists heard what could only be described as faint voices or screams, or something was coming out of the hole. So they got this idea to run a test of their own. They lowered a microphone that was designed to, t that was designed to detect plate tectonics. So they lowered that down the hole attached to a thermometer. The temperature was 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is crazy hot. But it's what they heard that was worse. They heard screams, thousands of screams, maybe millions of human voices crying out in agony and pain, blood-curdling screams that didn't stop. And that's when they realized they had drilled a hole to hell. These recordings of the hell screams were smuggled out of Russia and then made their way and made their way to Art Bell. And here it is. Are you ready? Let me play this for you. Now, I've got a clean copy of it now, and uh, I warn you, uh, this could scare you. Here's the email. Dear Art Bell, I just recently began listening to your radio show and could not believe it when you talked about the sounds from hell tonight. My uncle had told me this story a couple of years ago, and I didn't believe him. Like one of your listeners who discounted the story as nothing more than just a religious newspaper fabricated account. Okay, so the reason I left that part on, I'm going to bring that up in a little while about that religious newspaper account. Now let's actually get to the screams from hell. Disturbing indeed. All right, that's about as much of that as I can take. Um, I will include this on the Facebook page if you have some strange desire to listen to, you know, sounds from hell even longer than that. It's scary, right? Terrifying sounding, right? So is any of it true? Sorry, Art Bell or Ghost of Art Bell or Art Bell fans. 
it's kind of true. Yes, the Soviet Union did drill a hole more than 7.5 miles deep. It was called the Kola Super Deep Borehole. Now, it wasn't located in Siberia, but it was located in the Kola Peninsula. And that shares the border with Norway and Finland. And this happened in 1989. But nothing paranormal or hellish was found. Alrighty, so it's going to get jumbled for a minute. I mentioned it a second ago about the whole religious newspaper thing. Bear with me for this next part. I'll explain it afterwards. I'm going to read it directly from the internet that's already debunked this story. It's been circulating for a while now around the internet since at least 1995. This story first appeared in English on a 1989 broadcast by a U.S. domestic religion-based TV broadcaster, Trinity Broadcasting Network. And that's what Art Bell was talking about. Then it kept getting repeated again and again and again. Now, first, the story originally was published by a Finnish newspaper called Amunestasia. Sure, why not? Now, this story has been based on recollections of a letter printed in the feature section of a newspaper called Italia, Italia Suman. And that story was a take on a story appearing in a Finnish Christian newsletter named Vialtjat. Sure. Uh, that had been printed in July of 1989. Now, the newspaper editor from that story claimed that its origin had been a newsletter called Jewels of Jericho, published by a group of messianic sure messianic jews from california and then it goes on and on and on and on all right here we go i told you to bear with me basically this story is a telephone game of the same hellhole story being regurgitated and growing more hellish each time from what we can find it goes back to a religious newspaper that is picked up by another religious newspaper that was picked up by a religious news site website early in the internet's history to another one, to another one, to another one, getting bigger and bigger and bigger each time. Now, I'm sure you're saying, well, what about that recording you just played, Kurt? That sound you just heard, isn't that proof that it's real? Nope. The recording was later found to be looped together from various sound effects, sometimes identified as the soundtrack of the 1972 movie, Barren Blood. It's looped on top of looped. It's layered on top of layer on top of layer on top of layer of sound effects. And that's why it sounds so garbled, so crazy, why I couldn't listen to many, any more seconds of it. There's nothing more paranormal about it, and it's definitely not a recording from a hellhole. The story, I didn't debunk this one. Hate me all you want for debunking stuff. I didn't have to debunk this one. It had, it had, already, it had already been debunked many times. I love Art Bell. I love the fact that he just played it for you and you came up with your own conclusions. That made it even scarier. Perhaps I should have done that on this episode. But I'm sorry, that's not what Paranormal Almanac is about. There is a ton of paranormal stuff on here that I didn't need to add one to it that I could prove was fake, okay? Okay, that being said, at the very beginning, I mentioned Chernobyl. So let's get to why I did this episode in the first place. Chernobyl. After what happened there, there has to be ghost stories, right? Well, actually, yes, there is. There really are ghost stories from Chernobyl that are fantastic. Shadow people have been spotted in the glassless windows of the buildings in Pripyat, and footsteps have been heard as well as voices. Guards who use infrared and FLIR to keep an eye on the building to make sure that nobody's trespassing that shouldn't be there have spotted people on their FLIR, and those people don't exist. They're seeing the outlines of people on their little infrared thing, kind of like ghost hunters when they do the infrared thing. Picture that. They're seeing people darting around or looking out windows, and there is nobody there. The guards have to go and investigate these, and there's nobody there. 
So there are ghosts, and these ghosts are appearing on infrared. So they'll chase down the person to a dead end. And when they get to that dead end, there is nobody there. And here's the more important part. Here's the proof as far as I'm concerned. Not only is there no one there at this dead end, the dust and soot or whatever you want to call it that's on the ground, on the tile floors and the hallways, wherever they're at, the dust and soot on the ground is undisturbed by footprints. The guards can actually look back and see their own footprints in the dust and nothing else, no other footprints. So like I say, there are ghosts seen at Chernobyl, but unfortunately, there is a ton of BS ghost stories. So I'm gonna do something that I don't normally do. I'm gonna basically end this episode with a bunch of debunks. So you know what time it is? It is debunk time. I was so excited when I found the next story and how it was on a ton of sites as a completely true Chernobyl ghost story. It talked about the reactor. It was incredible. And I couldn't wait to share it with you. But then I did some basic digging. I didn't have to even dig that far. I did the basics of digging. And the story fell apart right away. So, like before, first I'll tell you the story. Then I'm going to debunk the hell out of it. Andrei Karsukov, who is a nuclear physicist from New York, told this story after visiting the Chernobyl nuclear plant, the area, in 1997. Karsukov said he went to the power station at 7.30 a.m. and went to the number four reactor sarcophagus. Now that's where the explosion occurred. He could not go inside it due to radiation, but as he took the radiation readings, he heard someone screaming for rescue from a fire inside. So he says, I ran upstairs to tell someone but they said that when I entered the reactor, but they said that when I entered the reactor control room, I was the first person to open that door in three years. And the only way to get inside that old reactor is through the doors I came in through. If someone had gone inside that reactor when I was not looking, they would have tripped an alarm that goes off when the reactor door is opened mechanically. The reactor door requires a password and a handprint, yet someone or something was inside. Later that evening, as we were eating dinner outside the building by the river next to the plant, a floodlight turned on in the room of the installation. There was no way anyone could be inside. As we ate, we figured there was a power surge or something. Then just as my colleague said that, the lights turned off. Another great story, right? A story from inside the reactor sarcophagus where Chernobyl happened, where the explosion happened. Here's the problem. There is no Andrei Karsukov, a nuclear physicist from New York. He doesn't exist. And the only mentions of him online, and there's a ton of them, the only mentions of Andrei Karsukov, a nuclear physicist from New York, is in the telling of this bullshit story. Now, there's an Andrei Sakharov, S-A-K-H-A-R-O-V. There is an Andrei Sakharov, but there is not Karsukov, K-H-A-R-S-U-K-O-V. Andrei Sakharov was a Russian nuclear physicist. He was the designer of the Soviet Union's RDS-37, which is a code name for Soviet development of thermonuclear weapons and he does have a connection to New York. In New York, there is a street sign at the southwest corner of 3rd Avenue and 67th Street, which reads Sakharov Bonner Corner in honor of Sakharov and his wife, Yelena Bonner. But the real one, Andrei Sakharov, he's dead. He died in 1989. This story took place in 1997. Remember that. This guy, the real guy, died in 1989, and he never investigated Chernobyl. Next, the reactor control room, there is no sealed door that hadn't been opened in three years. 
There is no alarm that goes off when the reactor door is opened. There is no password or handprint. This story is complete and utter bullshit, yet tons of paranormal sites state that this story is true. And hey, paranormal sites that say this story is true, if you're listening to this, you run one of these sites, take five minutes to do research. And if you still don't believe me, then you find Andre Karsukov, a nuclear physicist from New York that was in Chernobyl in 1997. Because you know what? They have records of everybody that goes to Chernobyl. They don't have things that are just been closed off for three years. There's part of the reactor that's been closed off since it happened because opening it up would be opening up that radio, uh, the radioactivity that would kill everybody. But the story that they're talking about is complete and utter bullshit. It's just not true. Again, I wish it was. It's a great story. But it's complete and utter bullshit. And with that, let's keep going with complete and utter bullshit. Let's take a look at a few dumb paranormal theories about Chernobyl that are on a bunch of websites as well. One. The first one. The Chernobylites are giving birth to children who have an unknown yellow fluid instead of blood. This is on a ton of sites. Nope. Not one known case of children with yellow fluid instead of blood are alive. They never existed. Not one. These kernel of truth parts of this. So, if you watch that, that TV show Chernobyl, when they were really sick, spoiler, when they were really sick with radioactivity, yes, fluids would leak out of them. And it was yellowish. It was very pus-like because it's pus. But this story says the Chernobylites, people that lived in Chernobyl during that incident, are giving birth to children who have an unknown yellow fluid instead of blood. Nope. Second, monkeys that live near Chernobyl are now extremely intelligent because of the radiation. That's a real, that's not a real story, but those, this story is spreading as quote unquote a true story on a ton of websites because, oh yeah, there are so many tales of Russian monkeys in the wild. For years, Russians would see monkeys swinging from the trees in the Russian jungles. And they also saw some guy in 50s attire named Mutt Williams swinging with them. Look, this is just dumb. It really is. There were never any monkeys in the wild in Pripyat, and there are no zoos in the area either. And no monkeys have ever been found in the area, super intelligent or regular monkey intelligence. It just didn't happen. Third one, according to legend, several people began to see a large winged creature with red eyes in early April before the Chernobyl disaster. The creature became known as the Blackbird of Chernobyl. No. This isn't mentioned anywhere around the time of Chernobyl, nor is it associated with any real credible witnesses of Chernobyl since. They're trying to link it up to the Mothman one. Like, oh, Mothman always, you know, appears before a disaster. Well, guess what? He appeared right before Chernobyl blew up. No, he didn't. He just didn't. I think it would be very interesting if they did see a Mothman. People were talking about the Mothman. Then the explosion happened. I think that'd be very interesting and very intriguing. And I'd look into it. But it just didn't happen. Then there's an alien conspiracy that revolves around Chernobyl. Not that aliens caused the disaster, but that extraterrestrials saved the human race from utter annihilation. According to the conspiracy, people spotted UFOs around the same time as the Chernobyl explosion. One witness reported seeing an object for about six hours. Those who believe that this object was both real and piloted by aliens suggest that the aliens helped tone down radiation levels, preventing an even larger blast. Though the damage was certainly terrible, it wasn't apocalyptically bad as believers said it could have been. No. Sorry, no. You know why nobody was looking up in the sky for six hours when the Chernobyl incident happened? 
because the Chernobyl incident happened. That is terrifying enough. People are dealing with a nuclear reactor explosion and they're not even being told about it. They're being, it's being covered up by their government as it was happening. All right, next one. A doctor claimed to have seen similar UFOs three years later at a time when the reactor was sending off high radiation levels. Similar conspiracies say the exact same thing happened around Fukushima disaster as well. Again, no reports of a UFO near Chernobyl before, during, or after the explosion. No reports of UFOs before, during, or after the Fukushima disaster either. Next, children born in three or four generations will be Einsteins. Maybe, but it won't have anything to do with getting bombarded with gamma radiation from a collapsed nuclear plant. This isn't a comic book. Real people died. It's a sad story. It's a terribly, terribly sad, tragic accident that people died from. Finally, there are a bunch of sites that tell BS ghost stories about paranormal groups finding toys in piles when they go to investigate Pripyat and Chernobyl. Now, they say this is obviously proof that ghost children are going around collecting toys and playing with them. No, no, it doesn't. If you watched Chernobyl, you will see that they collected piles of everything. Books, uniforms, gas masks, air tanks, everything to keep all the radioactive material in piles at the location for the eventual cleanup that sadly never happened. But they wanted to contain the radioactive material. All the material that was radioactive, they wanted to contain it. There is zero proof that ghost children are making piles just like the military did when the accident happened. None. Not one. Again, I get why people would think that. If you're there and you're doing a paranormal investigation and you come around a corner and you see an odd collection of shoes or toys or gas masks, it's terribly frightening. You're at a horribly frightening location with a Geiger counter clicking away because of radioactivity and you see something like this. You psych yourself up. If you didn't do the research, it seems terrifying. It has nothing to do with the paranormal. So again, I, I like I said earlier, I apologize that I'm ending with a bunch of debunks. But please just remember this. There are a bunch of real ghost stories from Chernobyl, from Pripyat, from Russia. Tons of them on this episode alone that can't be debunked. And that's the point of this show. Again, that's what I want to do with Paranormal Almanac. I'll tell you everything. I'll debunk what I can. And what's left is even more incredible because I couldn't debunk it. These stories are continuing to happen. They didn't just happen once and they never saw them again. And like I said earlier, this is the tip of the iceberg, the tip of the paranormal iceberg from Russia. Hopefully, stories like this will keep coming out, keep being talked about. The internet will keep sharing them, the true stories, not that BS, the true stories. And we'll hear more about paranormal investigations and paranormal sites in Russia. And I think that is worth it. That's completely worth this episode. Like I said, I was very excited to do this episode because of Chernobyl, but also because, you know, Russia is still kind of a mystery place. I get that it's not like the Soviet Union. It's not like it once was, but it still kind of is. There's still a lot of stuff that we just don't know about. And that stuff that we just don't know about, hopefully our government and their government will get its shit together Stop with the arguing and the fighting and all this other bullshit. Start working together and sharing this information as well as every information. Just start sharing. If you happen to live in Russia and you happen to listen to this show, please email me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com or go to the Facebook page. Do you know? Contact me however you can. I want to hear your paranormal stories from Russia. I kind of also want to hear just how bad I butchered most of those names. I apologize 
I apologized pre, you know, ahead of the show. I'm apologizing now. I hope I got at least a couple of them right. I think it's, Russia is a fascinating place, and I would love to investigate it. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Oh, it's not so. I shall leave us.